church family. The reading is from John chapter 13 today. The Gospel of John chapter 13, starting at verse 1 and going to verse 17. John 13 verse 1 reads, It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You, can, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the reading of God's word. Morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you. Um, it's good to be back. Gillian and I had a lovely holiday, um, feeling refreshed. Um, and uh, we've got a number of things happening over the next few weeks. Just to mention that um, we have our Vision Day, our AGM, on the 5th of February. Um, you should have received by now the, uh, the church report. Do have a good look at it and come with good questions on that morning. And then home groups get underway this week. If you're looking to be a member of a home group and you're not in one already, then please come and speak to Gillian or I after the service. Right, well, do have the Bible open at John 13, and I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's help. 
Well, Heavenly Father, Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Well, at the start of the new year, the Lord Jesus puts an awesome challenge before us. Heavenly Father, we're excited. We want to do it. But we confess that we need your help both to understand what Jesus means and then to put it into practice. So please draw near to us now by the power of your spirit and show us the way. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Michael began this morning by wishing you all um, a happy new year. And uh, I wonder how often you've heard that phrase since we last met together. Um, Was it perhaps 10 times? Was it 25 times? Might have been more than that. Michael spoke about what that means. But I wonder how you feel when somebody says Happy New Year to you. Uh, Personally, it always makes me feel a bit better. Um, It reminds me that in spite of all the load shedding and the other problems that we're dealing with at the moment, it really is possible that 2023 could actually be a better year. That's what we're thinking about this morning as we begin this new series in the closing chapters of John's Gospel. And the title of our message this morning is A Clean Start. And in the next few minutes, I want us to see from, (coughs) excuse me, the passage that Jesus offers a clean start to everybody without exception. That surely is very good news, isn't it, at the start of a new year. But there's more because Jesus also shows us how 2023 could be a really happy year for us as a church fellowship in the very, very best sense of that phrase. Well, let's get our bearings. This is surely one of the best-loved passages in the New Testament. It's captured the imagination of scores of hymn writers. So it's been the inspiration, for example, for um, Meekness and Majesty, Rock of Ages, uh, Brother, Let Me Be Your Servant, But what does the passage actually mean? And to find the answer, we need to begin with a puzzle. The puzzle is that at this point in the Gospel, John has given us two significant gaps. There are two events that the other Gospel writers mention that John has left out. Gap number one. In John's Gospel... There is no record of what Jesus said would happen at the end of human history, that marvelous day when he returns to judge the living and the dead. Mark and Matthew and Luke devote an entire chapter to that. John leaves it out. Why is that? The experts say that John left it out because he covers all of that territory and more in the book of Revelation. And I'm sure that's the right answer. But what about the second gap? 
The second gap is that there is no record in John's Gospel of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now that is actually a more profound puzzle. The other Gospel writers say it's terribly important. In fact, they make it the entire focus of their account of what happened the night before Jesus died. They tell us that Jesus instructed his disciples to celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly because it's such a vivid reminder of the meaning of the cross. John leaves it out. And instead, he gives us this account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's unique to John. The other gospel writers don't mention it. So the question that we need to be asking if we're thoughtful Bible readers is, are these two things connected? No institution of the Lord's Supper and John's unique account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Is there a link? And of course there is. Because John is teaching us something very special indeed about the meaning and the message of the cross. So look with me at the end of verse 1 in your Bible. End of verse 1. Jesus now showed the disciples the full extent of his love. And then Jesus demonstrates what that means by washing their feet. Now, I think the imagery is pretty obvious. Uh, the feet of the disciples are a picture of human sin. And the washing is an illustration of forgiveness. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He forgave our sins. So here, the question is, what exactly is Jesus teaching us about his love? There are four lessons. And the first is that Jesus washes us at great cost to himself. Uh, in India, there's an unusual statue outside one of the Bible colleges there. Um, it's the statue of a tall, very dignified figure. And at the base of the figure, there's a, there's a sort of menial slave cleaning this very important person's feet. Now think about India, caste system. In India, a slave is the lowest of the low. He belongs to a class known as untouchable. You didn't go near them. But when you get close to this particular statue and you read the inscription, you discover that the sculptor has played a trick on you. Because the inscription reads, Jesus washes Peter's feet. So the glorious one, the dignified one, isn't who you thought. Now that, I think, fits the shock of this particular passage perfectly. Just look at the contrast that John puts before us. In verse 3, just notice this, he tells us that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So if you've got the picture, verse 3, Jesus, most powerful person in the universe. Uh, The Father has put everything under his power. Jesus knows that. But that leaves us totally unprepared for what follows in verse 4. Just let the words of verse 4 sink in. Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So have you got the image clear in your mind? Here we have the most powerful person in the entire universe, dressed as a slave, as an untouchable, and doing something that only a slave would do. Now, because uh, foot washing isn't common in our culture, it's important to realize just what a disgusting job it was. Uh, In those days, people wore sandals. Most of the roads were simply dirt tracks. And because people moved about on donkeys or horses or camels without a city council to clean them, the roads were covered with animal excrement. So when you went to somebody's house for dinner, even though you might have had a bath before you left home, as soon as you arrived at the house, your feet would be in a horrible state. So as soon as you rang the doorbell, a slave would be summoned and told to clean your feet before you moved beyond the front door. It was a thoroughly disgusting and degrading job. In fact, very few Jewish slaves would submit to doing it. They refused. So here, Jesus is showing the disciples in an image that they would easily understand what it cost him to make you and me right with God. What did it cost him? Well, for a start, it cost him his dignity. You see, he had to take off not just his outer clothing, but the glory, the glory that he had with the Father from before the world began. He had to become a servant and do something that nobody else would do. But he did it, and he did it for us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read those words, I'm amazed. Because it says, doesn't it, that Jesus' love for me is unconditional. He offers me the full extent of his love, just as I am, with all of my faults. He couldn't possibly love me more. Can I ask you, is that your experience? Do you know deep in your heart, that Jesus loves you just the way you are. That he knew exactly what you would be like. And yet he was still willing to be humbled and utterly degraded to make you right with God. That is actually the scandal of the gospel. I want to show you just how scandalous it is. Keep a finger in John 13. 
turn ahead in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. These are, I suggest, perhaps the most scandalous verses in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Are we all there? Paul writes, he's writing to a church in Corinth, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now pause on that. I don't know how you're feeling when you read that. What I'm feeling is, okay, that rules me out. I don't qualify. But notice what Paul says in verse 11. That is what some of you were. Now he's talking to Christians in church on Sunday morning. Some of them, these real Christians, had been sexually immoral, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, people involved in all manner of corruption. How on earth did they become Christians? Well, verse 11, Paul says, but you were washed. Got it? You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, can you see, therefore, that the barrier to getting washed, to getting right with God, is not with Jesus? Jesus will wash anybody. He'll wash you if you ask him, if he hasn't already done so. No, the barrier to getting washed is entirely with us. Men and women today, many of them, simply won't have it. Why not? Well, I think many people today come to church but fail to get washed by Jesus because they're looking for a saviour who is much more impressive by worldly standards. They simply don't see Jesus for who he is because like the figure in that statue, he's too humble. And because they want a more impressive and a more dignified saviour, they miss out on the love that Jesus wants to give them. Jesus washes us at great cost to himself. Come back to John 13, because the second lesson that we're being taught here is that Jesus washes us in order to include us. I don't know about you, but I think that Peter is a great character uh, because he seems to do all of his thinking out loud. You know, he, the idea pops into his head and he just speaks. He blurts it out. So in the passage, Jesus has already washed some of the disciples' feet. Now it's Peter's turn. But instead of being super excited about the idea, look at verse 8. Verse 8. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. 
And in the original Greek, it's even more emphatic than that. It reads, you, my feet, never. Now, isn't Peter like many of us at that point? We actually don't really want Jesus to get that close. By nature, we'd rather clean ourselves up first before we come to Jesus. We don't want Jesus to see the parts of our lives that we don't want anybody else to know about. So what Jesus says to Peter is really very important for all of us. Because Jesus says, notice this, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So if we want to belong to Jesus, we've got to allow him to wash us, to make us clean. It's the only way into the family of God. There isn't another one. You can't be a Christian without it. Now I know that all of us have got skeletons in the cupboard. Things in our past that we'd really rather not think about. And for some of us, those skeletons are not as dead and buried as we wish they were. They're still hanging around. Uh, They drag us down in our weaker moments. But Christ can overcome that. See, Jesus never says, clean yourself up, then I'll accept you. He doesn't do that. He says, come just as you are, and I will wash you, and I will make you clean. And you can absolutely trust him to do it because he loves you. Now that raises an important question, of course, which is what on earth does it mean to be washed by Jesus? Are we talking about a physical washing? Are we thinking about baptism, for example? How does Jesus make us clean? Turn on two pages in your Bible to chapter 15. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 3. Because outside of chapter 13, this is the only place where John uses the word clean. So it's got to be an important clue. Jesus says to his disciples, John 15, verse 3, you are already clean... Because I baptized you. Does it say that in your Bible? Does it? No, it doesn't. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now, is that not striking? Jesus makes people clean by his word. What word is that? In John's Gospel, the Word of God is three things. First, it's about who Jesus is. Because by his miracles, Jesus proves that he's God in the flesh. John has carefully selected just seven to prove the point. Second, it's the Word about who I am and who you are by nature. In his teaching, Jesus says that I am dead because of sin. And without a miracle, 
there is no hope for me beyond the grave. Third, it's the word about what God has done with that problem. So the most famous verse in the whole of the New Testament is John 3.16, I'm sure you know it. It reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus says that if I want to be clean in the sight of God, I must hear Jesus' word, I must accept it, and I must respond to it. And the response is the most important part. You see, all love requires a sincere response, doesn't it? So, uh, you married men, uh, cast your mind back to the time when you were first dating your wife. Uh, I don't know what it was. Maybe you went out for a meal together, and uh, when the time was right, you uh, probably gazed fondly into her eyes, and you said, I love you. Now, just imagine how you would have felt if at that point she took out her notebook and said, that's terribly interesting, Um, I'll make a note of that. You would have felt crushed. You would have felt humiliated. Well, the love of Jesus is a million times deeper and more pure than any human love. And yet, how many of us are actually today Responding to that love by saying, that's terribly interesting, Uh, I'll make a note of that. I mean, not only is that an absurd response, but when we say it, what we're actually saying is, I don't really want to get clean. Quite happy to stay just as I am, dirty in my sin. John's got a reputation for using uh, symbolic language. Uh, He uses words and phrases that have multiple layers of meaning. And he does that quite deliberately because he wants us to think. So when he says that people who belong to Jesus have been made clean, he means they've been forgiven. That's the first meaning. But when you think about what it might feel like to be clean... What are some of the other ideas that come into your head? Um, Happy, perhaps? Restored? Accepted? Fit to be in human society? Free from infection? Those are all very legitimate ways of talking about Christian experience. And what about being one of his own? Of course, To be one of his own means to be part of his family. Now, what might that actually feel like? I think it feels like Jesus wants me, that he knows me, that he includes me, that that he gathers me together with everybody else in his family. Now, again, can I ask you, isn't that what you want? Don't you want to be loved like that? You know, you can have it today, you can have it this morning, if only you'll come to Jesus 
and let him wash away your sin. And I can't think of a better way to start 2023 than doing that. Just one word of clarification. Jesus is not instituting a regular church practice here. You won't find foot washing in the liturgy in the prayer book. Why not? Well, just notice that Judas is among those people who gets his feet washed. Isn't that interesting? And in verses 10 and 11, Jesus says that Judas is not clean. He's had his feet washed, but he's not clean. In other words, the issue is not whether you've been washed physically, but whether you believe Jesus is who he says he is, and whether you have asked him to wash away your sin personally. Judas did neither of those things. So John 13 and baptism are both about becoming really clean on the inside by trusting in the death of Jesus. That's how Jesus includes us. But there's something more wonderful here, because the third thing we're being taught is that Jesus washes us completely and repeatedly. I find this marvelous. See, when Peter uh, understands that he's got to be washed by Jesus, uh, once again he responds in his usual over-the-top way, verse 9, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And uh, the way that Jesus responds to Peter is fascinating. Verse 10, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean. Now, there's a lot more going on there than meets the eye. Because, you see, when Jesus says that, he knows that within the space of just a few hours, Peter is going to deny Jesus, not once, but three times. In fact, right at the end of the chapter, in verse 38... Jesus tells Peter that is precisely what Peter's going to do. Well, of course he does, because Jesus is God. I mean, he knows these things. He already knows the mess-ups, all the mess-ups that you and I are going to make this year. But even though that Jesus knows Peter's going to let him down like that, Jesus can still say to him, you are clean. Now I find that striking because it means that even in the moment when Peter does something he's going to regret for the rest of his life, he will still be right with God. Yes, he will. That means his greatest sin cannot undo what Jesus does for him on the cross. Isn't that reassuring? Don't you find that reassuring? I mean, if we know ourselves at all, we know that we are inconsistent people at the very best of times. And if Jesus only gives me an entry permit into the presence of God, and after that, it's down to my performance, well, I know I won't last five minutes, and I don't suppose you will either. 
But Jesus says to Peter the sinner, as he says to you and me this morning, you are completely clean. If you've been washed by me, you can stand in the presence of God and nothing you will ever do in the future will change that. What does that mean for us this morning? Well, one of the best comments on this is by a theologian called J.C. Ryle. He uh, died more than 100 years ago, but I think his comment is spot on, and we need to hear it again today. It'll appear on the screen. <clears throat> no. It will appear? It won't appear. I will say it. J.C. Ryle said this, Let no man be afraid of beginning with Christ if he desires to be saved. The chief of sinners may come to him with boldness and trust him for pardon and with confidence. The loving Saviour is one who delights to receive sinners. Let no man be afraid of going on with Christ after he has once come to him and believed. Let him not think that Christ will cast him off because of failure and dismiss him into his former hopelessness on account of infirmities. Jesus will never reject any servant because of feeble service and weak performance. Those whom he receives, he always keeps. Those whom he loves at first, he loves at last. His promise will never be broken, and it is for Christians as well as unbelievers. Isn't that lovely? So when Jesus washes us, he washes us permanently and perfectly. But because we're sent out to go and live in a dirty world, it's inevitable that we're going to pick up muck and grime. That's part and parcel of the Christian life. You can't avoid it. But it doesn't affect our eternal destiny in any way. But it is a reality that affects our relationships with one another. And so we need to come to Jesus every day, tell him what we've done, ask him to deal with it. And the point is that Jesus loves you and me enough to do it not just once, but to do it repeatedly. Now that brings us to the fourth and what I think is perhaps the most important lesson in the passage. Uh, it's not a very imaginative title, but I've called this What the Love of Jesus Means for Us. Look at verse 14, will you? <clears throat> Jesus says to his disciples, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, all those people who've been washed are to follow Jesus' example. Now, we've already seen this is not a call to have regular foot-washing ceremonies. Why not? Because I can wash your feet 
and my heart attitude to you can still be completely wrong. That's why we don't do it. Now, this is an obviously a call to be humble and helpful in our dealings with one another. Yes, it is. But in this context, Jesus is talking about two specific things. First, he's instructing us to bring other people to Jesus so that he can make them clean by his word. That means obviously bringing them to church so they can hear his word being explained, or it means sitting down with them and reading the Bible with them one to one. And of course I know that when we do that, when we reach out to someone and say, won't you come to church with me, or can I read Mark's gospel with you, there is the risk of rejection and ridicule. It's hard to deal with that. Our pride gets in the way of that. But think about it. If Jesus saw that the only way for you to be forgiven was for him to set aside his glory, become a servant, become an untouchable if you like, and die in your place, well surely it's not too much to ask that you would risk a little bit of personal hurt and rejection so that your friends and loved ones can get right with God. That's the first thing. Following Jesus' example means making sure others hear God's word and get cleaned up. But the second thing, and we're going to finish with this this morning, the second thing Jesus means when he says that we are to follow his example is at least as important. I want you to follow me very carefully now. Because Jesus means that we are to forgive like Jesus forgives. So not grudgingly, not reluctantly, not if they will only first sort themselves out. No, we are to forgive other people like Jesus forgives. Now friends, that means it's going to cost us something. Because when somebody wrongs us or hurts us in some way, there is a debt, isn't there? Uh, they've taken something from us. Might be our reputation. Uh, might be our peace of mind. Might be our security. Could even be our family. Could be our friends. Whatever it is, in order for the relationship to be restored, someone's got to pay the debt. Now you see... What normally happens when we've been hurt is that most of the time we expect the other person to pay the debt, don't we? Yes? We want to be vindicated. We want everybody to know we were right, they were wrong. And we're not really willing to forgive the other person until that's happened. Dear friends, that is not how Jesus forgives, is it? Jesus doesn't stand on his rights. Remember, Jesus is the creator of the universe. And in spite of that, he willingly lays aside his glory like a garment. And he forgives by paying the debt himself. Now, that is the way that Jesus wants you and me to forgive. 
When someone wrongs us, he wants us to pay the debt. That means Jesus wants us to be ready and willing to forgive people who don't deserve it. Our motivation for doing it is sheer thankfulness to Jesus because he's paid our debt. We didn't deserve it. But of course that is what he did on the cross. Now can I suggest that if we do this, perhaps for some of us, if we start doing this and keep on doing it, people outside the church will notice. They'll want to know why we do it. Some of them may get saved. And here's a lovely incentive. Just look at the promise Jesus makes in verse 17. You all see verse 17 there? Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So what Jesus is saying is that if we will commit to doing this in 2023, if in this church we establish a culture of forgiving as Jesus forgives, the promise is that we will be blessed by God. And if that happens, well, 2023 really will be a happy new year. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us so clearly what Jesus accomplished for all believers on the cross. As we look back on the last year, we know there is much in our lives of which we are deeply ashamed. But we're amazed that you knew what we would do before we did it. And yet you've made us perfectly and permanently clean. You've given us this great assurance that in spite of everything, we can stand before God unashamed and unafraid. So as we go into 2023, help us to follow Jesus' example. Help us to reach out to those around us who know nothing of these things. And please give us the courage to bring them to Jesus to be washed. And if we find ourselves rejected and ridiculed, help us to remember that you willingly laid aside your dignity and faced the worst possible humiliation in order to wash us and give us a sure and certain place in your eternal family. Help us to follow your example. Thank you, Lord. Amen.